Welcome to the Global from Asia podcast, where the daunting process of running an international business is broken down into straight up actionable advice. And now your host, Michael Michelini. Today's podcast is brought to you by Aurelia Pay. I use them personally for sending money to my Chinese suppliers from Hong Kong. It's a cross-border payment solution between China, Hong Kong, and Southeast Asia. So when I need to make a payment to a Chinese supplier, I just hop online to place the remittance, pay to the Aurelia Pay's Hong Kong-based bank account, and Aurelia Pay will settle RMB within the same business day. So check them out online at www.aureliapay.com, A-U-R-E-L-I-A-P-A-Y.com, or check them out linked in our show notes. All right, everybody, Global From Asia podcast. What number are we at, Angelica? We are in our episode uh, 194. 194 shows. Thank yeah. you. And we, I'm doing this from Shanghai. You're in Manila. And we are definitely Asia business. Um, going to Hangzhou in a couple of days. We're going to have our second Hangzhou meetup. Our member, mm. Lorenzo, has been doing amazing things for us, right? Yes, he is. So he's been always trying to get us to come up. It'll be my first time ever to Hangzhou. Um, it'll be cool to see the community. He's he's saying there's some amazing things happening there. And I'm also going to get to go see Alibaba's campus. Alibaba really likes Global From Asia's content. And we've been contributing some content to them, to their site as well. Mm-hmm. So interested to check out what's going on there. And... Then Lorenzo, actually, you met him in Manila, so he's uh, doing great things, great things, and he got an audio interview, so we're actually going to potentially use that in future podcasts, which is pretty awesome. And how about this member series? Which member are you are you featuring? Are we featuring this this week? This week we have uh, Mike. Kaha of um, Truly Scale Limited. So we already posted that last Wednesday on our forum regarding the link where they can read about Mike. And yeah, I hope they can check out our forum as well as our um, Global from Asia um, Facebook page. Definitely, definitely. I know you've been working hard getting the current VIP members going and taking care of everybody so also guido is coming to the matchmaker he's yes it's been exciting we've been talking to him uh like i'm yeah we're just trying to get this global community going and then this week's show it's me (laughs) i i stuck on a mic while i was doing my speech in the shanghai global from asia meetup this past wednesday so September twentieth, mm-hmm. so it's kind of an overview of export e-commerce, cross-border e-commerce. I talk about a little bit of the history of when I believe cross-border e-commerce started, and and uh, I get a little bit, I don't know, passionate about some of this stuff. So I might have to speak to our editor Boban about cutting some things mm-hmm. out, but mm-hmm. we might just leave it in there. So uh, it's a little bit raw and. Uh, Actually, I've been doing, I'm getting more bold, Angelica. I'm, I might get in mm-hmm. trouble. Some of my friends are saying I might get in trouble one of these days somewhere, <laughs> but, but, uh, this is, this is one of them, but we want to keep it real. We want to keep you guys interested and, and engaged. Um, so let's, let's tune in. Okay. So like what is cross-border e-commerce? Uh, I think there's some experts here that might be able to say it better than I 
But I think the history is uh, eBay. I think eBay is what's, from what I researched and what I've talked about, they're the, they're the pioneers. What cross-border e-commerce technically means is selling something from one country and to another country. So a lot of people think cross-border e-commerce is Chinese e-commerce. I do a lot of cross-border events, and people come thinking it's about selling on Jingdong or Taobao from overseas. That is definitely cross-border e-commerce, but cross-border e-commerce is also selling something from China overseas. Actually, if you Google cross-border summit, the conference I do, there's another cross-border summit in the UK that's about cross-border e-commerce in Europe to UK. So they're all about cross-border in Europe. So that's also another type of cross-border e-commerce. So I, I always want to try to clarify. I always want to try to clarify that to everybody. So I know we're in China and we talk about selling in China, and we're going to talk about that today. But it's really anything. And so the story of eBay. I think a lot of you guys know Jack Ma and Taobao kicked their butt pretty hard in China. <laughs> so of course they probably didn't do the marketing correct. They didn't localize enough. But what happens is eBay.cn is about Chinese factories to sell in the U.S. or overseas markets. So it's all about how to sell your goods overseas. And I think that started in 2006 or so. And that's, like, from what I understand, is the beginning of cross-border e-commerce. Before that, everybody was shipping product B2B into America or into that market and selling it. But at that time, people started selling like you know, mobile phones from China directly into the uh, U.S. market. So I think it really started that way. And then also people started selling into China and technically, cross-border e-commerce means you sell B2C, business to consumer, from like Hong Kong. I don't want to get in a political fight, but it's, it is a border. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to say if it's China or not, but it's a border, and it has to go imported into China. And then the taxes are due. I mean, Dominic will talk about this in more detail. He's got a great presentation, but that taxes are due uh, to the person receiving it. So that's that's the real definition. And then... There's three parts of cross-border, well, actually any kind of e-commerce, really. There's the seller, which I said is a gladiator. There's a marketplace. Even a shopping cart technically is a marketplace, but basically it's uh, Amazon or Taobao or Tmall or even WeChat stores are kind of marketplaces. And then there's the supplier where you get your product. So I just like to kind of have a high-level understanding of the ecosystem and then does I'm sure you guys know him. Of course. <laughs> I think basically he has too much. Does he now ask? He. They said he replied to my email. I emailed Jeff Bezos at Amazon. I pull it up because uh, I got a new seller account, and it's hell now. It's freaking hell. I was talking to Dominic on the way here. All these gatekeepers, so they're very strict now on new accounts. So. You know, but he has all the power. I have to get onto Amazon if I want. Of course, I can have my shopping carts or other things. But I think if you're selling in the U.S. or at most international markets, maybe not China doesn't matter. But most places, you need to work with him. And and if you're a seller or a gladiator, I don't think he really cares about us. <laughs> so he cares. Oh, of course, he has. In, well, I talk about a CEO. A CEO actually has three parts. You're selling to your customer your employees and the owners or the shareholders. And I don't think seller really fits into that either, but basically he mostly cares about his customer, which is the buyer, not the seller and his investors, you know, shareholders. So he has tons of power. And if we're a seller, we have to listen to his rules and uh, do what he says. 
Uh, there was a funny picture a couple of months ago. He was going to a conference and he was oh, yeah, he, he was walking with like uh, looking all jacked. And they had a picture in 1999 of him looking like a geek, like a nerd. And now he's like this jacked dude, like in like a military outfit or something. That's too much power. Yeah, I mean, they just bought Whole Foods and everything, and uh, it is a little bit scary. So I think if you're if you're doing it, you got to decide which market. So I'm going to mostly talk in my talk right now about uh, in exporting, um, but you have to decide which market, and then you have to decide which channel. So for for my new startup, I just started the a new Amazon account. I'm focusing in the U.S., but a lot of people are trying to tell me because I do this all live on podcasts. So people are saying, "Mike, I don't think you should do U.S. is too competitive. You should go into Europe." There's there's a lot of people who do Amazon Europe, or uh, I think Australia is opening up soon. So some people say, "Mike, or Singapore." I think I've opened already, but uh, you, you should choose which market you're selling into, right? You, of course, the dream for all of us, the dream is to sell globally, but I, especially if you're just starting, it's going to cost a lot of money, so you have to choose your market first. And then the product selection. So I'm currently in the selection right now for the new one, and this is pretty tricky. So there's tons of software. We have a software developer here. Or he's thinking e-commerce software is huge. You know, There's all this data. It's big data, really. And I think to succeed as an e-commerce seller, you have to be good at data. I know David's here, right? You're probably looking at your data all the, all the time. I, too much numbers. Too much numbers. So I think e-commerce sellers have to be analytical, have to look both before you buy or before you decide to buy a product. So there's tools, like if you're going to sell on Amazon, you can use this data for even anywhere, but it's probably best to use it in the market where you're selling. You can use tools like Amazon Tracker, Jungle Scout, the other tools. I know YC. Which one do you use? Which one? I use Jungle Scout. Yeah. So these tools will like kind of do research of what the volume, what's the sales history of this product. So before you even start selling something, you can kind of get an idea of the competitiveness and the margins. So you know, I think you got to be pretty analytical to to really um, to do it. And then you're going to do the keyword research and, and the reviews. So I was uh, about August last year, I was in a big Chinese seller conference in Shenzhen, like a thousand Amazon sellers. YC was there too. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty mind boggling. But about that time was when they cracked down on reviews. Because the way, I don't want to pick on Chinese sellers, but the way a lot of sellers used to do it was just give away a lot of free product. And then hope, you know, usually it was like, pretty sure you get like a top review, which is five star out of five star. And then that would boost your algorithm to rank into Amazon. And it kind of got widespread. Everybody knew you just kind of give away free stuff and then you get rank. You'll get five reviews, which will get you rank. But uh, Amazon would crack down on that. Jeff Bezos earlier has cracked down on that. So there's really, there are, there are gray or illegal ways to do this. I don't want to talk about now, but some people are crazy enough to make like fake buyer accounts, fake credit cards to buy stuff or, or paying people off. You know, I'm in WeChat groups. I'm in WeChat group right now. I can get free stuff or, you know, even paid to review. So it does still happen, but, uh, I'm an internet marketer. I've been selling online since 2004 and I've been doing my own website since 1999. And there's always been kind of black hat 
illegal ways to rank in Google or rank in Taobao. The worst is, I was talking about this in an interview with YC this afternoon. Um, actually, he's one of my friends. He's my staff for four years. I don't know if I told you that. He, uh, he had, he's one of the biggest sellers in China. And he had 30 people surround his office saying that he did a massive black hat negative review attack on one of his competitors and just destroyed all of their listings by negative reviewing all of their listings on Amazon. <laughs> so uh, there is a lot of shady stuff, um, and, but you got to basically keep an eye on that. But the point is, the biggest problem, and the reason I'm even going back into e-commerce and doing it publicly is because a lot of people are researching data and looking at data and looking at products and they don't make a move. They don't do it. Like we have a lot of people come to our meetups, listen to the podcasts, and they are still not sure which product. Um, Brian is here thinking about maybe selling online. Maybe we'll get him on. And, you know, he might get stuck on which product he might pay for Jungle Scout or pay for AMZ Tracker or, or something. And then uh, just not sure. Do I put that? Well, actually, you shouldn't probably buy a thousand piece MOQ from a factory right away. Like uh, I started selling online by drop shipping in 2004 in New York City. So you can do something like drop ship or there's something called retail arbitrage where you can buy in Walmart and sell on Amazon and make money. Or you just do that. Honestly, we're going to do that in my new, our new account, which is still getting processed by Jeff Bezos. Um, but once it's open, we're going to send stuff from Walmart US to Amazon FBA and sell just to get the activity going. Not even about making money, but to get the activity going. We're really trying to make it for Christmas sales. Um, and we're talking factories now, but the point is you just want to get activity going. You want to learn how the process works. You might get, you're going to get bad products, right? I'm sure we can probably talk this strategy, what do you do if you get a bad product, but you're probably going to get rid of it. You're going to have to sell it, write it off, lose money. But the point is you got to just keep moving forward. You're, you're a gladiator. So making the product, I mean, we're in China, so we have a big advantage. Um, I'm not going to make it to Ewu this time. I was almost going to go to Ewu. You guys probably know Ewu market. So that's a huge market. It's like a city. And there's also a Taobao city now I want to go to. I've been to. It's, uh, I forget the name of the city, but it's nicknamed the Taobao city. And uh, there's just huge amounts of sellers and I mean, China is always about clustering, right? Like, I remember when I read a Harvard Business Review uh, about Wenzhou lighters. So in Wenzhou, they uh, somehow they started selling lighters. And one family started selling it, and, like, their neighbors started learning, and then they started doing another one. And then, and then uh, so you get these cities, like, or these districts that focus on one specific product. So I think that's an advantage if you can find that specific district or that specific city. Uh, I go to the beach in Shenzhen and there's there's a beach that's full of I think it's pigeon and like uh, and fish because it's all these restaurants lined up selling pigeon and fish. I might be wrong on the exact food, but what happened was one shop started and he started selling a lot, and then somebody saw that he saw a lot of pigeon and fish. And another pigeon fish restaurant and then that guy started seeing it so he had another pigeon so I've had these long discussions I mean I talk a lot with podcasts and some people give me this idea that like I think it's collective you know the way Chinese are more collective and they learn from each other 
And, you know, in the West, we're independent. We think it's, we get upset when somebody else copies us or sees what we do and wants to do what we do. But I think it's, it's almost a like common here. Uh, I'd love any feedback either now or later about that. But that's, I think, why there's these clusters of cities that have specialties because they involve the community, they involve others either willingly or unwillingly. Um, so you're basically going to be following systems and leveraging data always. Um, actually, it's kind of my weakness. I'm more of a creative person. That's why I like podcasts and blogs because I don't like looking at data. I worked at Wall Street for almost five years, but I got sick of Bloomberg and spreadsheets. Um, but even e-commerce is, is, is a lot, maybe not Bloomberg, but it's like Jungle Scout and it's, uh, and it's spreadsheets. We have some people here that do logistics, right, Peter? So, I mean, this, the idea today, today I'm giving a very overview because it's our first event here. And I just wanted to kind of give a very broad overview of all the major pieces of e-commerce. So this might be academic or very basic for some people, but I know lots of logistics companies and they don't know how to do e-commerce or online marketing. But a lot of e-commerce sellers, even me, are not still that good at logistics because it's more traditional, right? So, but I think e-commerce is a combination of logistics and like online. It's bridging, taking a physical good and getting it from A to B. Um, and then there's people that know how to do that, but they don't know how to sell. And I know some pretty big logistics companies that have tried to make different departments of e-commerce companies, but they don't have that that uh, DNA to do it. Of course, it seems like Amazon is, but um, yeah, logistics is very tricky. Like I have a I have a call on Friday morning with a company that's doing vitamins into China. So you know, help. That's very tricky. I should have asked Dominic for some help or, or send them to Dominic. But the logistics is the hard part. You know, you got to get that stuff, especially into China. If you're doing almonds into China, so importing. It's a nightmare. I've gotten companies that have been crushed. I know it's wine companies. We don't have wine today, but there's tons of wine in China. I have people that contact me and say, Mike, I got a pallet of wine or I got a container of wine. Can you help me get it out? Or can you tell somebody I'm, I'm giving up? It's been like a month. Can you just get me out of this? So you got to make sure you have your logistics in order. Um, we can talk about strategy for logistics, but you might just want to do B2C instead of B2B into China. So that's one advantage maybe of selling cross-border into China, B2C, is you don't got to worry about so much the logistics. I know Dominic's going to talk about cross-border uh, into China more with free trade zones, but uh, it's even tricky on the export side. It's easier, I think, on the export <coughs> side than on the import side, um, but it's something you should definitely know your product really well and have, have a good understanding of your supply chain and then cash flow um again i think one of the advantages well amazon is different now but when you sell on ebay or your own website you get the money within a couple of days after it sells so your cash flow is uh, a lot better but when you sell on well amazon pays you twice a month the middle of the month end of the month so it's not <coughs> as nice for you really and then um what I learned a lot about Chinese e-commerce was I remember when I was here in 2008 and I had a Taobao store for my, I sold bar supplies in my last e-commerce business and I couldn't sell anything. It was Taobao was basically a catalog of people to contact me 
and it was like a manual transaction. People weren't really buying online in 2008, 2007. I, I would love to be corrected. Of course, there was some happening, but it seemed like most people were manually sending me an Ali Wanwan or whatever the chat of Taobao at that time was and visiting our office and then giving me cash and, and buying. But uh, I think they cracked Chinese e-commerce because of the payments. See what's happening in WeChat Pay now is the, the trust. So they held the money. They held the money until it was delivered. I think that's what cracked Chinese e-commerce. And that's why there's so many cheaters in China that sell on eBay. Because they sell first, they get the money right away. They don't have to ship it. If you look at the differences of Chinese e-commerce and foreign e-commerce, um, it's pretty fascinating. So I, I, I've met sellers in China that made fortune, and they're even open about it, that they would open up tons of eBay accounts, sell stuff they wouldn't deliver, keep the money, and close it, open another one. I know these people. <laughs> they change their names. They use different ID numbers. You can't do that in Chinese e-commerce because you won't get the money until it's connected. One of the advantages of being second or not first to market is you can build on the weaknesses of the first. So America didn't integrate payments and shipments together, but in China, they really did a better job to connect the shipping and the payments. So it's also because of culture, but this affects your cash flow. You know, that was a beautiful thing for me was when I sold... You get the money right up front. You get the money right up front. And uh, in China, you have to wait longer to get the money. So it really affects your cash flow, especially if, well, any, any e-commerce business where you take inventory, inventory is the hardest thing. I met some huge sellers and they're just, you see a lot, the bigger you get, the more inventory you got to buy. So if you're selling on Amazon and selling these businesses, you got to finance inventory. I know there's more and more solutions for inventory financing, but this is something you got to think about. You sell a thousand pieces, you got to buy Another thousand, sure you have your margin, but you're going to have to have this cash flow where you're going to have to pay before you sell that first amount or you're going to run out of stock. So you have to have, it takes money to make money if you have an inventory-based e-commerce business. But again, I, I keep talking about gladiators and you know, Rocky Balboa, but it's all about just, you're, you're going to get stuck. You're going to get like fraud orders on your PayPal. You're going to get locked. Amazon It's going to send you a re-verification of your documents um, you know, Taobao, you know, might do something. You, you're, you're a little bit stuck in the middle here, but uh, the whole point is that you got to keep going forward. And then there's the taxes. This is, I mean, each one of these slides is actually a presentation that I, I've done or others have done. So, of course, I can't go, I could go into huge details about each slide. But uh, with taxes and bookkeeping, it's very complex with cross-border e-commerce um, we're also talking about the Hong Kong companies. So, you know, I'm on the Shenzhen Hong Kong border. There's a huge pressure. I, I don't even know where it's really coming from. I think it's, it might be coming from China too, but it's probably coming more from the U.S. But uh, have you heard of digital nomads before? Yeah. Basically, it's like uh, the guy or a girl on the beach in Bangkok, which are a lot of people listening to my podcast, making millions of dollars on Amazon. They live in Thailand. They have a Hong Kong company. And they buy it from a Chinese factory in Guangzhou. And they're, you know, some don't pay any tax anywhere. But it's all changing. Donald Trump is working on making America great again. There's, uh, you know, the Chinese, Chinese authorities are working on Cracking down on Bitcoin, cracking down on payments, cracking down on uh, 
money laundering. I've scared people. Actually, with China Channel, China Channel, I've done some events with them in, in, in Shenzhen when they came down. And I, he says, uh, uh, Shaman is his name. I'm, I'm saying it wrong, but he said, I'm too scary. But I've had payment companies that have disappeared. The government's been really cracking down on payments because, uh, you know, this is being recorded. May I turn it off for a second? <laughs> But it basically, the whole there's a whole battle of who should get this money. You know, does does America get the money to Donald Trump? Does you know the Chinese supplier pay taxes to the Chinese government? Does Hong Kong keep all the money and people buy real estate there? You know, what about what about Thailand? The guy on the beach does that? Does that? I guess he's buying stuff there, his coconuts and his apartments or his Airbnb. But maybe Airbnb is not paying taxes there. I don't know. This is a really, I think it's fascinating. Uh, I'm a little bit anarchist. Uh, I get in fights on Facebook a lot of times with my American friends because they think I'm a evil person. But taxes and bookkeeping is very complex. So it's, it's something I, again, back to the data. And I want to give more time to Dominic because he has some great, great content. So when you really boil it all down, a lot of the stuff we talked about is not, a, it's a one-time thing. It's not, you know, you find the product you get your logistics set up, you get your listing set up, you know, you get your systems and process. But I think the long-term job of a seller is to always be looking for the next product. Uh, YC and I were talking about how to protect yourself from the FTC factory to consumer, you know, all these factories in China selling direct, how do you protect yourself? And I think the best way is to know your market, to know your customer, to build a community, to build a brand. Well, that's all sounds like, Buzzwords, the real point is always having a new innovative product to come out with. It doesn't have to be the most innovative, most brand new, but even the micro innovations. You have to always be coming out with something new based on your feedback of your customer. And that's how you'll stay ahead from the copycats, from the Chinese suppliers, from, uh, you know, from the college students in UCLA graduating, starting on Amazon. Uh, I had a, had a good meeting with uh, David Lee yesterday. He's in Germany now. He couldn't come, but... He's talking to these college students. It's called the, the side hustle. There's a keyword now. Millennial side hustle. Millennial. Have you heard that? He's saying it's a buzzword now. It's like this growing trend in California of all these kids that want to make side hustle money on Amazon, selling online. Um, but I think the way you got to stay ahead is always find, you know, find that good product or have a good product or have a good brand. And I had a really amazing conversation with this, uh, the founder of AMZ Track. Well, not founder, he bought it. It's Chinese, uh, Chinese uh, Amazon seller bought out this American software company. And uh, had, I had uh, tea with him on Friday. I think you know Jerry. He'll be on the podcast, Jerry Gan. And he, uh, he said there's two ways you can be a seller. You can be the marketer or you can be the product. And he's taking a position. I hope I'm not revealing too much about it. And he doesn't listen anyway. But uh, uh, he wants to be a product business, not a marketing business. He wants to have that good product. He has the patents. He has the IP. He has the brand. He doesn't want to have to keep fighting to be marketing to get the customer. He wants to have the good product. Just delist or shut down all the copycats that are taking his patents and his, his brand. So he says he, want, that he wants his strength and his company to be product-based, not marketing-based. Because it does seem more tiring. Marketing means you always have to be finding a new angle, right? You always have to be 
doing a new Instagram or the Snapchat, which you still need to do even if you're product-based. But if you have a good product, that's that's probably the most important. Um, and then building a brand and just making it happen. So a lot of people, you know, that's why I love being public about what I do and everything I do. But we're doing Amazon, Amazon US, and we're picking a few products and we're just starting. And people are like, oh, Mike, what about eBay? What about your website? What about Taobao? I'm like, no. I had a meetup. I did this presentation in Hong Kong, too. And there were some people saying, oh, I'm selling to Asia. I'm like, what's your market? He's like, Asia. I'm like, Asia's not a market. Like, China, even, you know, Japan, like, Singapore, those are, that's not, those are all huge, different markets. Like, even Hong Kong. Uh I guess to sell in Hong Kong, you got to just have a, a shop with Octopus Pay downstairs. It's, I think, Hong Kong e-commerce. But uh, basically, you got to pick one market, one channel, and, and, and dominate that first. I mean, I think that's a big problem for me, too, but it's focusing. You know, it's so tempting to, to do all these different markets and, and, and products and then sleep on it. Maybe don't, don't call that factory and buy a thousand piece. Maybe sleep on it before you do that. And then, yeah, I've been kind of pitching my bigger events on the 27th, it's a Friday. So we're gonna have some top sellers there, more on export-based. It seems like in the south of China, is all about export. You know, we got the electronics markets and uh, it'll be the first time to take some top Chinese sellers and top Western sellers together. I think we're in a WeChat group. Actually, if you didn't join our, this is not the WeChat group, but I have been trying to add everybody. If you're not in our WeChat group and you wanna be, uh, contact me or, Probably most people here are in it, but if you're not, um, make sure you do that. And uh, I think this there's so many WeChat QR codes, but I think this is our personal account. Uh, probably a lot of you talk to Honeybell. So she's, it's my first time. I used to have a, a Shenzhen assistant, but uh, she left me and moved to Shanghai. I'm going to meet her. She couldn't make it tonight. She did another event, but I am teaching a Filipino how to do WeChat. It's hard. It is hard. So please be patient with her. I know some people have some problems with payments and communication and maps, but uh, she's doing a pretty good job. So I think this will add her, which is the Global From Asia official account. All right, that's it for globalfromasia.com slash episode 194 at the, that was our Shanghai Global From Asia meetup. And I, have another one with Dominic from TMO Group talking about importing into China with e-commerce and cross-border e-commerce, which is a great one too. We'll be using that in future podcasts, so stay tuned for that. Thank you, everybody. And you know we're doing meetups all all over the place more and more. And uh, we also have a podcast coming up with Lorenzo on Friday where he's actually got some exciting news for us and some updates on Par Living Inc. I'll save it till Friday, but thanks guys for listening. I am still on the road. I'm in Hangzhou right now recording this outro. Things are moving fast and I hope you guys are making moves in your business and staying motivated, staying positive and making things happen. Alrighty. Have a great day, everybody. And, uh, cheers. To get more info about running an international business, please visit our website at www.globalfromasia.com. That's www.globalfromasia.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to our iTunes feed. Thanks for tuning in.